It's the My Michelle Live podcast. Looking for the God story and news of the day. My Michelle Live news and views. Here's Michelle. Hey, thanks for joining in today. Wow, nearly two years ago, this is what we're taking on today. Think about this. Nearly two years ago, our world became vastly different. We have weathered a pandemic. We have weathered increased division and in particular, a kind of social justice that looks vastly different than the moral and I would even say uh, godly uh, civil rights movement about 60 years ago. What do we have today? We have inconsistency, hypocrisy, demonization, and they linger in the aftermath of the 2020 riots and what has taken place since then. Today on My Michelle Live, we're going to look for real liberty and justice for all. That's what we stand for. I will tell you, I came from a household where we were encouraged not to salute the flag. My mom said, there isn't liberty and justice for all. And then as I grew, and my mom's faith grew as well, we realized it wasn't about the fact that now there's always going to be pockets of injustice. There's always going to be places where liberty is not standing strong. But those are the principles that we stand for. And those are the principles that are behind that flag. Because that flag still waves, because that star-spangled banner yet waves, we have the hope of liberty and justice, and we will continue to fight for it. So how do we do that? We have seen the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the aftermath. We can look at what's going on there. Headlines had some pretty disturbing issues. What's going on in the fight for justice? And we're going to do it with Michael Letts. Now, he's CEO and founder of Invest USA. It's a national nonprofit charitable organization out of Columbia, South Carolina. And they help hundreds of communities provide thousands, thousands of bulletproof vests for police forces through education public relations, sponsorship, fundraising programs, and he's doing so much more. We've just touched the tip of the iceberg. Michael, thanks for joining me. You have done a tremendous amount with keeping the public informed, and I'm so proud of the job that you're doing together. We're going to see to it that our founding fathers can feel comfortable that the freedom that they envision for this country still exists. I would say that the outrage that came uh, from black communities, frustration is justified. There's a frustration. There's a frustration with poverty. There's a frustration with feeling like you can't get ahead. There's a frustration with broken families, broken lives, incarcerated children. There is reason for outrage. But then we saw it play out in the Black Lives Matter movement. The New York Post reported that a Boston social justice charity affiliate of Black Lives Matter scammed donors out of nearly $200,000. There were federal indictments. That's not the only headline, Michael. From January, Black Lives Matter, millions have been unaccounted for. No one seems to have been charged 
with the matter for months. There's an address list on tax forms. It's wrong. The charity's two board members won't say who controls over $60 million in bankrolls. So it would seem that only a few Black Lives Matter and they're living large. (laughs) It's not allowed to be talked about in mainstream circles. So you have to go to places like this to hear the other part of the story. In that other part, Michael, is hope for everyone, for all black lives and all lives in general. I love what you just said, Michelle. Let's take it one step at a time, because obviously we have a nonprofit and charity as well. First thing you have to do is, what is the quantitative objective of this charity. Okay, we say Black Lives Matter. What does that mean? Now, let me use the illustration of invest. We say that we want to protect officers who do not have active shooter vests. So our goal is to buy an active shooter vest and provide it to officers who do not have those. You can easily qualify that. You can look on the website and see those vests being for Black Lives Matter. They have never defined what their objective is. They just said Black Lives Matter. Well, everybody agrees that all lives matter. What do you mean by Black Lives Matter and what do you plan on doing about it? The only thing we've seen evidence of is they want to instigate riots. They want to instigate civil discourse and they don't give any objective. They never say what they're qualifying for. Well, I would argue that they do on their site. They stand for Marxist socialism. They stand for the breakdown of the family. They stand against family values. These are the things that they say. We have a disjointed, hypocritical view of justice and, and movements. And we're seeing that, for example, with the coverage of the Freedom Convoy. We have people who are saying, you need to wipe these people out. You need to take their money, take their freaking dogs, <laughs> lock them up. But when people were burning down cities, you had the same people saying, no justice, no peace. And these right. people are justified. Thinking people are saying, okay, there's a real disconnect here. There is a real disconnect, Michelle. We were, you had just mentioned what we were uh, saying was that really, unless you can have, what do they mean by having black lives, improving black lives by making them matter? Are they providing food? Are they providing homes? Are they providing training? Are they providing education? What are they doing? No, they're simply espousing an ideology. That ideology is a leftist Marxist socialist ideology that quite frankly doesn't benefit not just black lives, doesn't benefit anybody's lives. It hasn't proven so out. It really opens up to abuse when you do that. Yeah. So I'm not surprised about the indictments that are coming down today. I think you're going to see a lot more of that because what you have read is that the dollars that were used, and of course, how did they get those dollars? And nobody else will talk about this, Michelle, but I'll be glad to do it because I've been involved. I've seen how they, do, how, they, how they have done it. They take this opportunity to go to businesses and say, look, if you do not support and contribute to our cause, then we're going to deem you as being racist. We're going to label you as such, and we're going to make sure the community boycotts your business. It will cost you business. It will cost you uh, positive PR. You don't want to be involved with that. It's easier for you to stroke a check. But unfortunately, a lot of the businesses will do that. And that's just, uh, that's a scamming way. And now we're seeing the chickens are coming home to roost, I guess is a good old Southern term. (laughs) There you go. The proof is in the pudding. My mom would use that one as well. Michael, uh, (laughs) you really have followed things from the beginning. And you do see some of that inconsistency and, and hypocrisy. When we follow the news and we follow what's really happening, you cannot just simply take money from people and then be unaccounted for. If this were, let's say, the Freedom Convoy, how would it be 
reported different? How would the news headlines be different today? We see uh, currently, whether it's the Freedom Convoy or Invest or anybody else, anything that is conservative, that is pro-freedom, pro-law enforcement, pro-first responder, come under intense scrutiny to make sure that everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Quite frankly, I have no issue with that because that's the way businesses and charities are supposed to be run. So I welcome that opportunity. But there is a great disregard for those who espouse the leftist point of view, that their narrative that they're trying to get advanced, and they overlook a lot of these things until it becomes so compounded. Imagine for what you just said, Michelle, just a minute ago, $60 million? How long does it take you to realize that funds being uh, brought in are not going into the cause of which you, you are espousing? $60 million worth? That's a huge amount of money that's going to be. It's taking a long time to finally track that down. And with other charities, it would have been $6,000 coming in and not having put out on what they espoused it to be, where there would have been question already raised. So and there should they be. turn a, a, a blind eye, and they shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, maybe the funds are doing what they were supposed to be doing. In that, if you follow history, when you look at socialism, uh, it's supposed to be for everyone and even distribution. It does not work that way. What happens is the elite have a different way of living. You can look at Venezuela for an example, and there are other examples throughout socialist nations and systems. Our past president, Obama, said, yeah, they have the best health care in the world. Yeah, for the rich, the other people are in virtual cells with no food, getting second-rate health care, dying in mass. It's very different. It's very different for the elite, and you need to think that through, follow history, which is not a real popular thing anymore. I want to uh, go in a different, as Invest, you provide uh, bulletproof vests for police officers, for police forces. Michael, there has been... Um, a real disturbing trend in some policing where we've seen it in Australia where people, you can see police officers uh, tackling grandmas who may not be vaccinated. You saw in Canada police officers holding a line and riding their horses through people, a woman, you know, in a, in a mobility scooter being knocked down through history. We saw the very, that very thing happen through brown shirts and the SS in uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, this is a human nature con uh, condition. There are a lot of good officers out there, but this trend, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And I'm very glad you did the show because everything rises and falls on leadership. And uh, the vast majority of officers across the country, which is what I have been espousing now, besides just providing best, but we have been espousing to every agency across America. The time has come in this country to where we can no longer allow politicians, liberal, social leftists, to dictate our conscience. Hmm. We have to do what is right and uphold constitutional values, regardless of the consequences. Now, here's what's interesting on the story you mentioned in Canada. What the media does not tell you is before the event that you described with the horses occurred, the police chief and 50% of the force resigned. The other 50% of the force refused to participate. They had to bring in outside foreign UN personnel to help instigate that rule. The vast majority of law enforcement knows what the right thing is to do, and they will not participate in something that is unconstitutional. Now, we're in a real quandary. You and I are just being frank with each other. First responders know the government does not have their back. 
but they've also been led to believe over the last two decades that the American public despises them as well. Mm. They're not sure where to turn to. And that's why I'm encouraging people to support. It's not just support charity in this. It's support what we do. Here's what I mean by that. You don't have to give a dime. That's fine. But what I do ask you to do is to go to an officer in your community and say, thank you for the job that you do. Because let me just tell you why you should do this. We don't pay them. I would be embarrassed to tell you how much we pay an officer on the year, okay? We pay them very little. We ask them more than we do from anybody else. You must be willing to sacrifice your own life for people that not only you don't know, but quite frankly, someone may not even like you or care for you. You're still asked to guard and protect them the same way. You're asked to do things that will leave you psychologically scarred for life. And you're asked to do it with a smile. And quite frankly, you can't put a premium on that. And the least we could do is to tell people that are willing to do that because they have a servant's heart. Thank you for your willingness to protect and to serve this community. That's all it takes is a smile. You say it's the least we can do, but I think it's where we start. It's one aspect. They know the government does not support them or back them. We know that they're using us as political funds. We don't know what the general public feels about us yet because we get mainstream media saying the general public thinks we're scum, thinks that we are shouldn't be respected. We know that's not true, but we need some evidence. So please back our thin blue line. Let them know that you're with them and you're going to take care of them. And I promise you, the day comes, they will do the right thing by you. Trust me. Break down those barriers. Uh, once in downtown Seattle, during some of the harshest of times when CHOP was in my backyard and officers were being defunded and, and leaving the force, I went up to a group of three and said, hey, I just want to thank you uh, for hanging in there, for being here. And one of the officers cried just instantly their body started convulsing and they cried that level of stress and and relief when someone just said hey thank you speaks volumes to what you just said news service is not reporting as you said that in canada the huge number of police officers that backed down quit resigned said no That's huge. It wasn't reported that United Nation planes landed nearby and there were officers there uh, that didn't speak English, didn't speak French. Uh, It was not reported. That's disturbing and people should know about it. Freedom works. Freedom works. It's hard. It can be ugly. There's difficulties. And that's why it's so easy to surrender to someone else just making the decisions because it just seems like a safety net. But that in the end doesn't play out. Check your worldview for its consistency through history, because that's what will bring us into the future. And I will contend with you that a biblical worldview, the God story is what we look for Every episode of My Michelle Live, that's a worldview that will see you through and give you hope yesterday, today, and forever. We have been talking with Michael Letts, CEO and founder of Invest USA. They provide bulletproof vests for officers, and he is an all-around great guy. So good to talk with you. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for what you're doing. God bless you. God bless America. If I may make one world plea. Continue to keep us in your prayers for everything we're doing for the convoy and all. We open up every session with prayer. 
we understand that while we may be able to make a difference, the ultimate victory will be from the Lord. And that's what we're counting on, and we're expecting to see it through. Oh, you got my prayers indeed. Prayers are powerful. This is News and Views Thursday. Today, we're going to be taking a little walk through history. This man, who has shaped much of our hopes and our dreams, had some very interesting things to say that we can learn from through history. What is it about today that uh, we have lost some perspective of history that is crippling black America today. We will talk about that. Let's listen to a few words from Martin Luther King Jr. To deal with this problem of the two Americas, we are seeking to make America one nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Now let me say that the struggle for civil rights and the struggle to make these two Americas one America is much more difficult today than it was five or ten years ago. For about a decade or maybe twelve years, we struggled all across the South in glorious struggles to get rid legal, overt segregation and all of the humiliation that surround that system of segregation. In a sense, this was a struggle for decency. We could not go to a lunch counter in so many instances and get a hamburger or a cup of coffee. We could not make use of public accommodations Public transportation was segregated. I'm going to stop there. Part of our story in America. What has taken place since the time of Martin Luther King that has brought us to a new kind of segregationism? One catchphrase, disproportionalism, that is behind much of Black America, Black Lives Matter, disproportionalism, disproportionately represented among victims and perpetrators of domestic violence. Uh, What has happened to the Black American family? I want to introduce you to our guest, E. Everett Bartlett. He's the president and founder of the Coalition to End Domestic Violence. Everett, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Michelle. Michelle, so yeah, it was great that you played that clip from Martin Luther King. He was a wonderful orator and so eloquent. He talked about two Americas. And in some ways, we've made enormous progress. Let's be clear about that. But in other ways, we have to be honest. We have actually gone backwards and that's especially in the area of domestic violence. In some ways, we've made enormous progress. We should acknowledge that and be appreciative of the efforts of, of so many to overcome some of these just unacceptable barriers. That said, we have a new problem, and, and, and in some ways, the situation has gotten worse. And let me explain what I mean by that. So we're talking about domestic violence, and we're talking about especially a federal law known as the Violence Against Women Act. And just by the name of that law, you would think, oh, yeah, this is just a problem that affects women. It turns out that scientists have been in literally dozens of studies going back to the 1980s, which is 
before the Violence Against Women Act was actually passed. We have known that this is an equal opportunity problem, that men and women are are equally likely to be perpetrators of domestic violence. And if we want to talk about Hmm. what's commonly called coercive control, which is psychological abuse, it it turns out that, that women are considerably more likely to be the offenders. And by the way, the Violence Against Women Act is up for reauthorization literally as we speak. So why do I say that we have a new problem on our hands of, in a sense, two Americas? Well, the Violence Against Women Act has driven a wedge in American society between men and women. It has stereotyped and vilified men as perpetrators. Again, all the research says says this is an equal opportunity problem. If you think, what is the image that comes to mind when you say domestic violence? Very likely you'll think of a, a man with a clenched fist standing over his, his cowering wife or girlfriend who is in the corner in fear. That's the image that's been branded into our, our, our brains literally since 1994. That's when the, the law was passed. That is a very unfair story. How does this relate to Black history? It has everything to do with Black history because it's Black men who have been especially victimized by this law. And so let me say it again very clearly. Even when we look specifically at Black couples, Black men are more likely to be a victim of partner abuse than a perpetrator. Okay? It's varies. It's, it's maybe 55% to 45%. It's not a huge difference, but the point is Black men are more likely to be victims than they are offenders. So here, so keep that in mind as I tell you the next key statistic. This is from the Department of Justice. 81% of all persons arrested for domestic violence are male. How do we square that 81, basically four out of five, how do we square that with the fact that this is an equal opportunity problem? It is directly affecting families. If we look through history, we know that before the, the 20th century, about 80% of black families were intact. That continued through two world wars, through the civil war. It continued through many changes, the industrial revolution and such. But something happened in the 1960s when, where African-American families went into a nosedive. By 1970, 64% of African-Americans were unmarried, and that percentage fell by half uh, as we entered into the 2000s. And today, it is, it's an epidemic. And we know that 80% of children who do not have fathers in the home have behavioral problems. There's suicides, there's less less of a likelihood to excel in school, but there's also that is also a contributor to domestic violence. So if we were to get to the crux of the problem, it would seem like broken homes go hand in hand with domestic violence, which came first, the domestic violence or the broken homes? Yeah, and it's actually both. It it works both ways. And, you know, it shows that these are issues that they're complicated issues. They're not amenable to cookie cutter solutions. Unfortunately, the Violence Against Women Act has given us a 
cookie cutter solution saying men are the abusers, women are the victims. And that's just for starters. There's a lot more, let's call it the ideology. And, and the I- ideology says domestic violence is all about patriarchal power and control. That's the underlying ideology. As you and I know, facts can be inconvenient things. So here's a, a very interesting fact. The, do, do you Are you aware that the group with the very highest rates of domestic violence are same-sex female couples. Same-sex lesbian couples have rates that are just astronomical, whether you compare them to homosexual gay men or heterosexual couples, their rates are are far higher. And I'll actually give you an example. Just a few months ago in New York City, there was a police officer her name was Yvonne Wu, W-U, if anybody wants to look it up on the internet. She got caught in the love triangle, right? And that love triangle involved her former girlfriend and the new girlfriend of the old girlfriend. You with me on that? I'm okay. trying. Okay. <laughs> it gets complicated, right? So Yvonne Wu came back to the, the home of her ex-girlfriend and found the ex-girlfriend cavorting with the new girlfriend. And as I said, Yvonne Wu was a police officer. She pulled out her revolver. She started firing. She she shot her former lover in the chest, not mortally, but she did kill the new woman. What's really interesting is that part of the, call it the mythology of the Violence Against Women Act is, we're not allowed to talk about female on female abuse. So in the Yvonne Wu case, she had actually been stalking her ex-girlfriend a couple weeks before, if this was part of our the conversation of our society, somebody would have reported the stalking, right? Nobody reported the stalking. If it had been reported, Michelle Wu could have gotten help. She could have gotten counseling, whatever she needed, before the, the abuse truly spiraled out of control. It's a very sad thing, and yet we really aren't talking about what some of the problems are with our domestic violence policies, the stereotypes that may be hurting us, and how we find healing. Now, as we look at um, Black America, racial misconceptions can be an issue. The statistics do say that Black America has disproportionate numbers of abuse, domestic violence, even gun violence. So do we boil it down to broken families? And what can we do about healing some of the damage that's been caused? Yeah, great question. So we do know for for a fact that the most safe place for men and women is in a stable married relationship. The rates of domestic violence are almost zero. But if that... Well, that's huge. That is really huge. You're saying that in a marital relationship, you see the percentage of domestic violence calls and hospitalizations start to go down. I think among married couples, the rate of domestic violence is one in a thousand. So that's something that we really need to to recognize. We've become a 
society that no longer prizes marriage, no, doesn't appreciate the sanctity of marriage, has maybe you might say loose interpretations of what marriage could be. We've essentially said you don't need it. And who needs a man anyway? We've taken away even the joy for women of choosing a career of staying home and taking care of their children, not to diminish that there are a few men that do that, but it's a joy. And I'm a professional woman. The joy of taking a few years off and just raising homeschooling the kids, absolutely delightful. And yet we downplay a lot of that in our society, I think to our detriment, Everett. Absolutely. And, and I'm the proud father of, of three children, three boys. Oh, that must have been and a handful at times. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I also, I've had a, a, a very successful career in academia and in the government and as a consultant. But if you look around my home, you'll see lots and lots of pictures of my kids. Of, of everything I've done in my life, I'm most proud of my boys. And so being a parent, being a, and, and, and being a, in, a, in a stable married relationship, really is so important. How does this connect to the Violence Against Women Act? Again, the most, by far, the lowest domestic violence rates are found in stable married couples. If there are marital problems, though, Mm. rates of domestic violence do go up. Now, here's another, call it a conundrum, right? So in many states, if there's even an allegation of domestic violence, the couple is, by law, prohibited from getting couples counseling. What? Doesn't that sound a little counterintuitive? We're back into the ideology and the mythology. And if both parties say they'd like to have couples counseling and the therapist says it's safe, of course, we should be able to do that. No, the activists are working to prevent that couple from working out their problems and solving their communication issues. Again, it affects the everyday people. Issues like this where we have activists that that pop in and say, hey, we want to protect women, which you, I think that's fabulous. You want to protect women. We heard from the clip from Martin Luther King, the two Americas. Well, we're still in in two Americas and uh, every issue has to Americas. We have yeah. activists that, that say women are perpetual victims and we like to make ourselves and uh, put ourselves into victimhood. It elevates us for some reason. We can victimize ourselves based on the color of our skin. We can victimize ourselves based on any number of things. Your sexual identity, what you ate for breakfast, it is about people. We all have, we all walk around with, with a sin problem, we could say. So when we can look at ourselves as people, maybe we can solve some of these people problems, Everett. Absolutely. And the domestic violence activists love to frame this as a gender issue. They use the term gender-based violence. And of course, that sort of code language, this is not a gender issue. This is a human issue. And so we we need to really change because I'm seeing signs that the American family and especially the nuclear family is in danger. And there are a number of reasons for that. But clearly, the Violence Against Women Act has sought to weaken that marital relationship. So when we see uh, the dismantling of families, the dismantling of black families in particular, who uh, the 
rate of uh, divorce and single parenthood continues to grow ever. We also see that's in direct correlation with some of the well-being of children and the rise in domestic violence. Yeah, absolutely. And a few minutes ago, Michelle, we were talking about how this is a problem that goes both ways in the sense of what is the relationship between family stability and domestic violence rates. This is an interesting little fact. A couple of years ago in Kentucky, they implemented a new law that was designed to promote what's called shared parenting, which means both dad and mom would continue to be actively involved in in child rearing. It kind of makes sense. And they didn't expect this, but as a result of this law, it was finalized two years ago, rates of domestic violence went down. Okay. How far did it go? Yeah. I I believe it went down about 10%. That's my recollection. So why is that? Again, it just shows that there are ways to create discord and, Mm. you know, acrimony between the partners that can escalate into physical domestic violence and removing the incentives for people to winner takes all kind of, kind of thinking, removing those incentives had this effect of reducing domestic violence in Kentucky. Rather remarkable. I wonder if that plays into our need for victimization in America. And I do not ever want to minimize victims of domestic violence, of rape, of any kind of crime or discrimination. You, You don't want to minimize that. But in our society. We have created this allure of victimization where we almost cry wolf. I wonder if our cry for victimization on every single level has diminished the actuality of domestic violence and, and the like. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And so I think we're talking now about this issue of false allegations, right? And we actually did a national survey a few years ago of just asking people, this was a nationally representative sample, have you ever been falsely accused of domestic violence or child abuse or sexual assault? The results were really amazing. 8% of all American adults said yes, they had been falsely accused of domestic violence, sexual assault or child abuse. That's over 20 million Americans. So judges and law enforcement are very much aware of this problem of false allegations. As we look at Black America, what has taken place in history is is great. Uh, For people of color or sexual minorities, some of these buzzwords, I fall into a few of those categories. When you over-victimize, when you uh, play that card, it diminishes legitimate concerns. When we say that we have systemic racism, for example, Martin Luther King was talking about how there was a time when it was illegal to go to a restaurant or to you know order a burger or a cup of coffee at a counter there really was a systemic problem that is gone it's not in our laws but we do have hate in our hearts and again it's a people problem everett because regardless of where you may stand as you're listening or watching on some of the issues we became an america that said your kind isn't welcome here <laughs> based on your vaccination status we we're very quick to fall into those same 
sins, so to speak. So as we look uh, through the passion of relief of domestic violence, this is your passion. This is your organization. This is what you're about. This is what you eat, drink, and sleep. You are looking for solutions. Black America, the history and, and really the history of America, broken families, violence, hate, all of those things have risen in every people group. What do you see as some of the solution? Michelle, as you've said so eloquently, our country has become divided in in a number of ways by race, political affiliation, and also clearly by, by gender. And the Violence Against Women Act has clearly contributed to that divisiveness along between men and women. And so part of this is there's been such a strong narrative created. And let, let me actually give you an example that, that that's close to home for you. Right now, lawmakers in Washington state are considering a new bill that would, it's called uh, coercive control. Have you ever heard that term before? I have heard that term before. And well, there, the lawmakers, and literally as we speak, lawmakers are in Olympia are looking at a bill that would turn coercive control, which is another way of psycho- saying psychological abuse, nagging. And it's, it's a little bit earlier in the, in the show. Mm-hmm. It turns out, according to the CDC, women are more likely offenders of psychological abuse than men. But that little fact did not come out <laughs> during the hearings a couple of weeks ago oh, in no. Olympia on this proposed bill. So we, we have this, again, this creating this narrative that, again, vilifies men, stereotypes men, portrays women as a victim. So to go back to your question, how do we solve this? Well, we really need to start by challenging this narrative. Mm -hmm. It's a deeply ingrained narrative. We see this narrative repeated essentially daily in newspaper ads and, and, and the TV and legislative hearings. So we have to debunk this narrative. It's just not based on science. It's based on ideology. And then once we do that, then we need to ask if domestic violence is not caused by patriarchal impulses or patriarchal instincts, what is it caused by? It turns out it's caused by things like excess alcohol abuse, marital discord, emotional or psychological problems from childhood. If a person was abused as a child, they're far more likely to reenact that those abusive patterns as an adult. But if you look at the Violence Against Women Act, which I mentioned earlier, any guesses how many times it mentions substance abuse? Hmm. <laughs> how many times it mentions uh, dealing with a, a marital discord? I'm, Not a single time. Not wow. a single time. So that's the fundamental, that shows you how powerfully this uh, ideological narrative has driven the debate. I like to encourage on our show is changing the world starting with me. And when I can change my world, I can pray that it has a ripple effect. And I think some of that comes back to one thing that I've seen underlying in our conversation today, Everett, and that's we've gotten away from real morality. We are forgetting that 
it's the simple things. It's love your neighbor as yourself. It's it's forgiveness. It's uh, conversation. It's learning to listen to you, even though you have a completely outrageously uh, crazy view on something. We have demonized people and have weaponized things that used to be peaceful, conversation, social media. We have a human nature problem and not a sexual identity problem, not a, a black man problem, not a you're not vaccinated problem, but we have a human nature problem. Could that be part of the solution in in curbing domestic violence? Yeah, absolutely. You said it so beautifully, uh, Michelle. So yeah, this is a human problem. We need to stop this divide and conquer strategy that that stereotypes men as abusers, women as victims. It's just it just has no relationship to the truth. And it also keeps us away from having looking at the actual solutions, substance abuse counseling, like anger management. That's how we address this problem, not by throwing more black men in jail. So we just have to, we have to change the narrative. Right. I want to thank you very much for all that you do. There's no, in my opinion, more harmful abuse harmful violence than domestic violence, the very place where you want to be safe and should be safe. And when that becomes a place of violence, it's the most hurtful. And so I thank you for your passion and for the work that you do. For more information as you're watching, listening, or reading, you can go to My Michelle Live and you can click on the Coalition to End Domestic Violence link right there on our page. Thank you again. My pleasure. For more fun, go to MyMichelleLive.com.